Well, I don't know if you are a clapper at home, but that is worth a clap in terms of giving praise to God in the way that we are able to sing. And if you are at home and your mom is there next to you, what you need to do next is dogpile mom, all right? And so I want to say happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers out there. We love you. We miss you. And uh, I want to make sure that you get your Mother's Day kiss from me, all right? So here you go. Ready? Oh, yes, I think you got it. All right, kids, here's one for you. All right, nice. Okay, so, uh, man, I am so thankful. Uh, I, for one, am very much grateful that we are able every week uh, to do this. That even though I long for us to be back in the buildings, as I long for us to come together and to celebrate what God is doing in our midst and, and lifting our voices up as we sing to him as a congregation, as a church, as a family, uh, what I'm really grateful for is the ability to do this week in and week out. Uh, that in some ways, as I've been thinking through this week, that we have never been closer to the first century church than we are right now, where people are gathering in their homes with family and friends to lift up the name of Jesus. And, and it is just so cool to me that it does not, our faith is not dependent on coming to a building, but our faith is totally dependent upon Jesus and that we can praise him and we should praise him anywhere that we are. And so I'm grateful for that. Well, today we are wrapping up our series called The Quarantine. For the last four weeks, uh, we have been in this series because, let's face it, uh, we are now in day 58 of the coronavirus. And for some of you, I know that that probably maybe feels like time's flying. I know at least one person, and that's the case. For others, this, it feels like three years, like this can't last any longer. And uh, all of us, at least if you've been living in Colorado for the last 58 days, have uh, kind of, uh, hopefully, have been following the stay-at-home or or orders, or now the safer-at-home orders. It's like the same thing, right? They just changed the name. Um, but we're doing our best uh, to stay quarantined from the rest of the world. And as we all have kind of come to terms with that reality, really the impetus of this series, the energy behind this series, came out of the idea of what if, what if during this season God didn't just want us to survive, which honestly would be like a win for most of us. But what if God didn't just want us to survive, but actually to thrive in this season? What would that look like? How would we go about doing that? And here at Crossroads, particularly among the, the preaching team, we just believe that when it comes to the Bible, that the Bible has some powerful things to say about how we thrive in this season. That we've looked over the last couple of weeks of how do we redeem the time, not just simply like, you know, wasting away our lives watching Netflix and Disney Plus, as good as The Mandalorian is, that we should find some other things to do, right? And, and, and then when the next week, Pastor Tim really looked at community, and, and we're all realizing during this season the value of community and relationships in our life. And then last week, Pastor Chris with family. And the reality is, is that uh, for some, this has been a great time that you get to spend with family. For others of you, uh, it has only surfaced the troubles that were before even more magnified. And so as we've gone through this, we just believe that the Bible has, has things to say about each one of these topics. And as we jump into it today and, and bring a close this series, we approach the subject that might be the most relevant to all of us that we're looking at a passage of scripture that confronts the issues that probably challenges our faith more than most. In fact, the, the issue that we're looking at today has the ability to absolutely shut down your faith. For maybe for some of you, it's the reason that you've been tripped up in your faith journey. For others of you, it may be the reason that you've never actually crossed the line of faith to begin with. That today we're gonna look at the topic and the subject of, of suffering, of trials, of the pain in our life. And the reality is, is that every single one of us right now in this season are facing trials that none of us expected. 
that for some of you, your senior year has been, has been totally disrupted. There's no prom, there's no graduation, there's no big graduation parties for you to throw. For others of you, you've, you've had to postpone huge events in your life like weddings. And you don't know when you're going to get married to the person whom you, who you love. For others of you in this season, you've had to, to say goodbye to loved ones as they've passed in ways that you would never imagine, in ways that they never could imagine. For others of you, you're, you've lost your job. Others still, you are, you're uncertain and fearful about the job ahead of you, particularly as we watched the, the news of now 30 million people this week unemployed. Others of you are, are wondering about your retirement. For some, you're wondering if you'll ever be able to retire. That every single one of us, at some way or another, is, is facing the reality of, of pain and suffering in our worlds. And as the nation starts to open up again this month, we're, we're all wishing, all of us are wishing at least some return to some kind of normal-ish in our life. And yet for all of us, as we, as we look kind of behind us in our past, we're all starting to understand that, that what was just 58 days ago will probably never be what's in the future. And as we look ahead of us, if we're honest, the only thing that we see is uncertain. And as we try to just simply focus on the present, it's met with trials and suffering and pain. See, trials, suffering, tragic events come to us all in this veil of tears known as human life. That suffering is undoubtedly the greatest challenge that any one of us faces in our life. And every thoughtful person, whether you're a believer or not, every thoughtful person has to wrestle with the problem of suffering and pain in this world. A senseless accident, a wasting disease, an awful crime that, that demands an explanation, an unexpected firing from a job, a tower falls, an earthquake shakes, a tornado destroys, a pandemic erupts. And in those moments, if we were honest, in those moments, we, we typically look to God overwhelmed, wondering, God, where are you at in this? Why does it feel like you're so absent? Why does it feel like you're so far away? The ancients of our faith called this the dark night of the soul, where God seems to be distant, even aloof, absent from the things of this world. And for many of us, this is where we find ourselves, isn't it? We find ourselves in this moment asking the question, so, so what do we do? What is it that we do? Now, the greatest teaching on this very subject that we find in Scripture is, is written in a letter by a man named James. Now, James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's, he's not a teacher of the law. He wasn't this great philosopher. He's not writing books. He just happened to be the guy who got to be the brother of Jesus. And as we look at James's life, and particularly his early life, he doesn't think that there's anything really spectacular worth knowing about Jesus. In fact, the only glimpse that we get into to James's life in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus's life, is when James and his other brothers come and they find Jesus and he's speaking and they think he's crazy. They think he's bat crazy. And so they're, they're trying to pull him off the stage to save the family name. See, when it comes to James, James didn't think anything significant about Jesus. His brother Jesus goes to the cross. He dies. Three days later, Jesus rises from the grave. And the most miraculous thing happened. James believes that he puts his faith in his half-brother and it radically changes his life to the point that James becomes one of the pillars of our faith, one of the, one of the voices of reason in the church. 
And what I love most about James is not that he saw himself as the half-brother of Jesus. That wasn't the big deal to him. What was the big deal to him is that he was a servant of his Lord Jesus. See, after the resurrection, everything changed in James's life. And he believed to think, he started to believe and think that the, the greatest thing about him was that he was following a guy, <laughs> a dead man walking, who happened to be his brother, but even more than that was his Lord. So late in life, he decides to write this letter to the church. And in this letter, he, he speaks to an issue, he speaks to a topic, he just gives a couple of verses to it that probably speaks more loudly to us today than maybe it ever has in our entire lives. So look, if the last 58 days, if the bottom of life has, has totally dropped out for you, there's something in this letter that you got to be aware of. If life seems uncertain right now and you don't know where to turn and as you look into the present, there's only suffering and pain, that this letter is for you today. That right at the beginning of, of James's letter, in James chapter 1, he, he speaks to that of who he is and, and that he's a servant of God. And then almost immediately he jumps into the topic of today. He says this in verse 2. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind. Now, if we didn't know who was actually writing this, we would look at this book and we would just kind of close it and go, mm, not, not for me. Like, really? Consider it all joy when I face trials of various kinds? Like, if we were honest, we'd go, come on, James. Like, those aren't two words that I put together here. I, I don't often go, here's joy, here's trials, let's put them together. This, that's not how my life works. And yet, we know who's writing this, so we at least have to take it seriously. And even more than that, beyond that, he's writing to a group of people who are very well acquainted with trials. That these were Jews who had become Christians, people who realized that, that their God could actually be their personal Savior, and it totally changed their life. And listen, in worldly terms, not for the better. Not for the better. That when these people, when they showed up at the synagogue, their place of worship, they were, they were treated as outcasts. That persecution broke up and, and people fled. Families were divided. At this point in history, being a Messianic Jew cost you everything. They were suffering, they were in trial, and they certainly felt like God was absent. And to make matters worse, their, their culture taught them, they grew up learning that if, that if good things happen to you, then, then God was blessing you. And if bad things are happening to you, then, then God was cursing you. And so here's this group of people, this brand new group of people who have put their life and their faith in Jesus and the bottom has completely fallen out and they're drawing the conclusion that either something's wrong with me or something's wrong with God. And they're asking the question that many of us are asking right now. Hey God, where are you at? God, how could you let this happen? God, God you feel so distant. You feel so absent in this moment and James pulls back and goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's start with the tough one. When, not if, he doesn't qualify it here. When you encounter trials of many kind, you consider it a time of joy. And they were as dismissive and stunned about that statement as we are today. And the reason that they were dismissive and the reason that we're dismissive is because it's so counterintuitive to the way that we think. I mean, come on. That we believe in our lives that we count it all joy when we avoid trials. That we count it all joy when we escape trials. That, that's when we consider it joy. But James comes in and goes, no, 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 no. You count it all joy when you face trials. 
And the key phrase here is, is the phrase counted. It's an interesting word that, use, that James uses to say, I want you to embrace this way of thinking. I want you to embrace this attitude about yourself towards trials. Instead of having the mindset that trials are the enemy of your faith, that they're the end of the world, that God is against you, that God is absent. Instead, I want you to think in those moments that your trials, your suffering as a source of something good, that suffering and trials are about the activity of God, to which every single one of us goes, no way. I'm not buying what you're selling. I'm not buying what James is selling, that, that you don't know my story. If you did, then this wouldn't apply to me. And James goes on, verse 3. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, this sentence is better understood for us, not with the word because, but rather with the word since. Since you know. It's a presumptive statement that James is making, isn't it? That James highlights what we already know, or at least what we suspect. And that is, is when, when suffering and trials come into this life, it is a test of our faith. That every time a trial comes into our life, it shakes our confidence in God. It shakes our belief in God. It shakes what we think we believe about God. That when trials hit, they cause us to go, God, why? Why would you allow this to happen? And we look around and we go, God, the world is falling apart. And God goes, I know. I'm testing your faith. And you go, God, but, but look what's happening. And God goes, I know. I'm testing your faith. And we go, but I don't like it. And God goes, I know. I'm testing your faith. That any time there are trials in your life, whenever trials enter into our experience, James says, from God's perspective, it is not a victory for the enemy. It's not that you've fallen out of favor with God necessarily, but it could be very well in many cases and ultimately in every case, every trial we face from God's perspective is seen as a test of our faith. And in that moment of trial, God is not absent, but rather active. And James comes in and he says, let's face it. When suffering comes, whatever that is, whenever that is, suddenly there's this interaction that takes place between us and God. And we cry out. We go, God, let me know that you care. Let me know that you hear me. Let, me. let me know that you weren't surprised by this the way that I was surprised in this. And suddenly in those moments there is tension and we feel faith muscles, our faith muscles beginning to stretch. And as we feel those faith muscles beginning to stretch, for some of you, it's been a long time since any of those faith muscles were used. For some of you, maybe you've never used those faith muscles. Maybe for you, it wasn't until this crisis actually began that before that, you, you didn't think a lick about God. Because the truth of the matter is, whether you're a believer or not, when times are good, we typically ignore God. We kind of live with this attitude like, God, if, if you don't bother me, I won't bother you, and, and, and we'll all be okay, we'll all be good. And now for almost every single one of us, those faith muscles are being stretched to the point of exhaustion. And we say, God, I, I don't understand why this is happening. Why is this going on? And James says, why? It's the testing of your faith. And in that testing of your faith, he says it produces something. It produces perseverance. See, God doesn't only want your faith to be real, but he also wants it to be unmovable. 
That word perseverance that James uses is the word that we would use ultimately for unmovable. That James believes that the ultimate purpose in life is to have a persevering, unmovable faith in God. See, when we look at the totality of Scripture, we discover that God is most glorified by unmovable faith. But here's the deal. The only way that we get unmovable faith is by facing the trials in this life. God looks at us and he says, I want to develop something amazing in you. I want to develop a faith in you that is unmovable. And that as the world gets worse and worse and worse, you say, I believe, I believe, I believe. Trials and suffering produce faith. And then James, as he's writing us, he he gives us this command in verse 4, and suddenly this begins to make more sense for us. He writes, And let steadfastness or perseverance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, God is at work in you. That in your trial, in your suffering, God is at work. And your attitude has everything to do with whether you will walk away from God and allow this suffering and this pain and these trials to be simply wasted in your life or to turn and to lean into God and allow him to do something good in your life. That God is at work in you right now. Right now in the middle of this crisis, he's he's producing an unmovable faith that glorifies him most. And so James looks at us and he says, "I, I want you to consider your trials, your suffering as a source of something good that God is at work in you. So let that perseverance finish its work. And when it finishes its work, you will become mature, perfect, complete, lacking nothing. To which if you grew up in the church, you go, whoa, 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 (laughs) whoa. That's not what I was taught. That when it comes to maturity, like that's knowing your Bible. It's how elegant your prayers are. It's about how well your your life is put together and how well you behave. And James says, no, 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 no. You face trials and suffering with joy and you let perseverance finish your work, its work. That's how you become mature. To which again, we, we step back. And James goes, yeah, I know what you're thinking. I understand it. But listen up, believer, unbeliever, wherever you might be, maturity in Jesus is less about what you know and has everything to do with how unmovable your faith is. Now, for some of us, this is new. That God's ultimate goal for you is that you would be mature, perfect, complete, lacking nothing. And the way that he defines that is very simple. He says it's, It's not knowing all that you can know about your Bible, even though that's good. He says it's not about how elegant your prayers are or how gifted a speaker you are or how great a singer you are. It has has nothing to do with how much you have your life together. That maturity is found in your ability to endure persevere, be unmovable in your faith and your faithfulness when there is nothing to hang your faith and faithfulness on other than the character of who Jesus is. When a person is no longer depending on anything but his faith in who Jesus is, that person, James says, is mature, complete, lacking nothing. 
See, when it comes to the suffering and the trials that we face in our life, it's not about the absence of God. It's all about the activity of God. That's why James says you can consider it joy. James says when the bottom of your life falls out, good news, God's at work. That when you're seemingly going through life facing trial, good news, God's at work. That suffering's not about the faithlessness of God, that it's all about the faithfulness of God. And in your trials, God is active. It's what God uses to produce what he cares about most in us, that God never wastes trials in this life. He never wastes the, the trials that we face in this life. Every battle, every hard place, every dark time, every painful storm, every mark of darkness is redeemed when we are in Jesus. That's what he does. He makes, he makes beauty and strength and hope and goodness from every difficult trial. And the trials that we face, they do not label us. We cannot allow them to label us. And we will not be a people who succumb to complaining with our friends and our family on social media. And we will not allow the suffering to define who we are, but we will rise up and we will, we will say that, that it is God, our Lord Jesus, who defines us. And in that definition, it's him who brings us out of the deep and who brings us through the fire and who takes us straight out of the darkness into redemption, into refreshment, into renewal, persevering with an unmovable faith until he calls us home. If you've never experienced that before, if you look at these trials and the pains and the suffering in your life and it's met with hopelessness, it's because you yet do not yet know Jesus. And so my prayer for you is that it would be on this day that as trials face and as you look at this world and you declare, maybe rightfully so, that all is hopeless, that you would turn your eyes from this world and that you would turn your eyes to the heaven not wondering where God is at, but knowing that Jesus is active in this moment now, calling you to him. That this moment can be the moment that you surrender your life to Jesus, going, all that I have is yours. Take it, I believe. If God's whispering to your spirit today, my encouragement to you is to click the little button that says, I believe. It'll take you to a place where we'll be able to talk to you and, and help you understand what this next step is all about. Will you pray with me, Father? Lord, as we sit in your presence, God, there's not a single one of us who has not been affected these last 58 days. God, that all of our life is in total disarray. Lord, that as we celebrate Mother's Day today and we realize let Lord, that this is the most disruptive Mother's Day ever. And God, even in that, it brings pain. And so, Father, I pray in the midst of our pain and our suffering, in the midst of the trial that we're walking through right now, Lord, that you would make yourself known to us. Lord, that we wouldn't fall back to the thinking that you're absent or aloof. God, we would be aware of your presence. And in that, Lord, we would see Jesus more clearly than we've maybe ever seen him before. Lord, like James, that we would have an experience 
going from maybe not thinking much about Jesus to realizing (laughs) that it's all about Jesus. God, be with us. Bring us comfort. Bring us comfort. Bring us peace. Let us know your love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.